Hello, hello, hello. This is from Curved Horns. I'll be your host this evening. Um, just to let you know, I have a special guest on today. This is my friend Chelsea. We've known each other for a very long time. And you can find this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. And I'll also be uploading to YouTube so you can see our lovely faces. Today's topic of discussion is a bit of a touchy one. And that's why I chose Chelsea to be on because she's got experience with it and she's out now. She's uh, not out. Sorry. I don't, know how, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to put this. Like, you're past that. Yeah. It's been years since you've had to deal with it. Moved on from it. Moved on. She's comfortable talking about it. So today's episode is going to be about domestic violence. Now, if you find yourself in a situation where you feel that you are being abused, we advise that you please find a way to get out. Even if you're not ready for it, even if you think you can't, figure a way to get out before you're put in a situation where you're forced to. But having said that, what makes you stay? Honestly, it's manipulation. Um, in my situation, I was 15. Um, he And growing up from childhood, where you didn't have a dad around and you didn't have a good dad role model, I mean, you thought that was normal. But what it starts off with is it doesn't start off instantly physical abuse. It starts off just little things, emotional, um, such as, you know, if Keep I, talking, I'm gonna if get I this didn't cat. love you, I wouldn't do this. Things like that. So by the time you realize what's going on, you're like, oh, fuck. You know, I, I'm in this situation. I don't know how to get out. And another thing is you don't want to admit it. You don't want to go and tell people like, hey, my boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever abuses me because it's embarrassing. And then not only is it the manipulation, but an abuser strips you from all of your resources. They strip your power away so you feel powerless. I guess, and so what you're saying, like, you know, uh, they start taking you away from your friends, start letting you visit your family less, like they isolate you. Yep. Okay. And then, like, in my situation, I wasn't allowed to have a phone. Yeah, I remember that because they were fucking, like, I wouldn't hear from you for months. Like, months on end. And, you know, I was like, well, there's nothing that I can really do. Because there wasn't. I would call my mom once a month from work, which was a big no-no, just to tell her I was alive. Right. Because, like, obviously, you know, she saw what was going on. But he knew she saw what was going on, so therefore, can't talk to her. Right. Can't be around her. Well, see, something that, like, there's very few instances where you did get to call me. That, those phone calls were, like, six hours long because we just hadn't talked in so long. And, like, I had an idea of what was going on, but I didn't think it was that far. I thought it was more of just the, you know, the typical, you know, oh, he gets jealous. I didn't think it was necessarily a uh, forced isolation. Does that make sense? Yeah. I thought it was more of, it's less bullshit if I don't talk to you, Cody. Yeah. You know. Uh, and honestly, that's kind of how it started out. I mean. Right. You know, I had you and Joe, and it was a huge issue with Joe. And, you know. Because Joe's pretty. <laughs> so, you know, it'd be, you know, oh, if you talk to him, I'm going to fuck him up. And 
it was one of those things like I'm I'm not going to put my my people in that position. I have to fight this crazy person. Probably should have. I should have, but it's like look, you know, you know I've never really been in an actual fight, but if someone come at me, I'll probably go hit him with a 2 by 4 <laughs> Like all's fair in love and war. I'm going to get yeah. you. Probably would have You know, now that we're older, you know, we have access to other things where it's like Yeah. You gonna stop when I tell you to stop, or I'm gonna drop you. Oh yeah, yeah, and that was kind of like that thing, you know, the thing back then. Like I, in the beginning, I wasn't terrified from him, mm -hmm. but like the first time he ever put his hands on me, I was still in high school. Um, I can tell you exactly where it happened. At. It was in the kitchen of my mom's apartment. Mm -hmm. It was at night. And he slapped the shit out of me. And then he instantly grabs me and starts crying and is like, I love you so much. I've never put my hands on a female. That's how much I love you. Trauma bonding. Yeah. And I completely like was like, oh, sorry, because he's got my feet groppling. You know? And it just, that was the first time. And then it went a while. But it was a lot of Oh, yeah. It honestly didn't start getting physical until the last, like, it was always physical, but it didn't get, like, super physical. Right. Until probably when I moved up to Dayton, to be honest with you, when I was away from everybody that could help me. And then I brought two kids into the world, and it he wasn't above threatening them kids. So that was another reason why I stayed, out of fear of them. Right. Yeah, you, you never want anything to happen to your kids. But I think that if it would have happened, so for example, you know, you have kids, so someone who is coming into the relationship with you, you already have the children. Granted, I think that you've had, I want to say you've, you've obtained a lot of strength because I don't want it to sound weird like that, but you've grown. But I also think that having those children with you now, if someone was to step to you now. Oh, I'd drop them. Like, yeah, you wouldn't tolerate them threatening your children. You would immediately remove yourself or them from the situation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that, too, was I wanted that perfect family. Like, I wanted my kids to have a daddy. I wanted that white picket fence. You know, I didn't want them to grow up wondering where their dad was, like I always wanted, or have daddy issues like I did. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then at that point, because Landon, Landon was three when the big incident happened. He was three, and honestly, it, it was then why I chose to get out. Um, but I mean... Like that was the final straw? That was the final straw. When he got hurt, that was, okay, it's done. So that's where... You know, at the beginning when I said, you know, you're going to be forced to put in a situation. You're going to be forced into a situation. You have to get out. That was it for me. That was it for you. Yeah. Like, I, he, he ended up getting a broken hand. And um, I was at work when it happened. So then I, you know, when he came to me and showed me his hand, I was like, whoa. Yeah, wait a minute. And he was saying, you know, he's three years old and three-year-olds are pretty much the most honest people ever. Well, they have no reason to lie. Yeah. And I said, what happened? And he's like, daddy got mad. Daddy got mad. And I was like, oh, hell no. Right. And at that point, I'm like, you know what? If he's hurting you while I'm at work, 
what would he do in front of me for spite? Oh, yeah. Like, it wouldn't, you know, that's that's a scarier thought. That's a much scarier thought. But I th at the same time, I don't know, because it's like when I think about, you know, people that I love or people that I care about, what goes on behind closed doors that I can't see. For me, the unknown is always the bigger fear. Mm -hmm. So I definitely understand where you're coming from with like, well, what would he do in front of me out of spite? But you're in front of him. You can do something. Yeah. Versus you not being there when it happens. Can't stop anything. And that was most scary because, I mean, they were three and one. Like, what could they do? Right. You no. Know? I don't necessarily think that abusers think like that. No. You know, I don't think that they're like, oh, wow, this is a child. Or, you know, oh, well. No, it's just, uh, oh, he spilled the milk. Yeah, and then they just you know? fly off the handle. And not to mention on drugs and everything else. I mean, it was pretty rough. And that was that was my turning point. Like, that day, I was like, you know what? Right. And I can honestly say, like, I've had several broken bones and stuff from him. And I think what really bothers me the most about that is as a healthcare professional, you should be, you are trained to know the signs of domestic violence. I know there's not much you can do when it comes down to asking the victim if they feel safe at home. and But they never asked him to leave the room, which nowadays they do. Right. They do ask, you know, this is a question that I need to ask you directly without any kind of interference. Yes. And um, I think if they would have asked him to, like, one of the incident incidences that I went there, um, he pushed me down a flight of stairs, and I, my back was all messed up. And um, we went there and stuff, and he was in there. I mean, you could literally see the bruises on my back, my hand broke. And they're like, oh, what happened? Of course, fell down a flight of stairs. They're like, you know, they, they, they kind of knew, but they asked me right in front of him if I felt safe at home. And he just gave me this look like, bitch. I mean, well, so I always wonder in these instances, what would have happened if you just said, no, I don't. This motherfucker hits me. Then what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Because it's like, are they going to stop him if he does attack you right then, right then in that instance? Yeah, what, honestly, what does happen? That Because, uh, you know, I don't, never in any story or uh, recount or anything that I've ever heard has a victim said in the hospital in front of their perpetrator, this man or this woman is hurting me. Out of fear. Because, right. Exactly. Like because they're, they're always, you know, they're there, they're staring you down like, when I leave this hospital, I'm getting my ass whooped. Yeah, or worse. Or worse. So, it's uh, I'm going to have to see if there's ever been a case where that actually has happened. What is the hospital protocol for that? Because now the hospital protocol is you remove the perpetrator or suspect suspected perpetrator from the situation. I'm going to ask you in this room alone, are you safe at home? And that way you're, you're free to say yes or no without fear of retaliation because they don't know what you said. And if you say, no, I'm not safe at home. What happens after that? Well, you're already isolated. Yeah. You know, you're in, you're in the hospital room. They can't get in there. You know what I'm saying? They'll call the sheriff. The sheriff will show up before they even address the, sus the suspect. Because, you know, it, let's say I had to take you to the hospital. I'm not even connected to that. But if they said, are you feeling safe at home? Who's the guy outside? 
who is that? Now, if you say that's the guy, they're going to call the sheriff. I'm going to sit there unknowingly, and the sheriff's going to pop up and be like, hey, bud, now there's a sheriff involved. Now there's someone who can handle that situation versus hospital staff having to put themselves in danger. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's I think that's the way it goes. They separate you. Now, what I would say is I think most abusers, they know what's happening. Oh, absolutely. You know, they, so like when, when, when they're separated, this is, I wonder what happens in their mind when they say, are they afraid of me enough to still lie behind closed doors? Does that make, does yeah. that make sense? Because it's like, you, you gotta know, you know, and I think. I mean, I can, I can agree with that because when he would take me to the hospital for a broken hand, whatever, um, on the way there, he would always say, now, if you say any fucking thing to them. Yeah, he was he was instilling that fear, yeah. trying to reinforce it. Okay. I just, I don't know how it would go. Like back in the day when they didn't ask people to leave the room. I wonder how that went. And another thing is, is like, okay, let's say you do that, or let's say you do tell them that you're here for your life, you're not safe at home. You know, sheriff shows up, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so that's all happened. But there's always that chance he gets out on bond. He's going to get out on bond. Okay. You know? So with a temporary protection order in place, which is very, you know, that's an automatic thing. Once you call the sheriff, you get a temporary protection order. They'll ask you if you want one. Right. But he'll get out on bond nine times out of ten. And he's going to be pissed. So I don't think so. Not Not today. And the reason for, you know, the reason I say that is because I've got some family in the moment that are going through it right now, and the bonds that they're setting are they're pretty fucking hefty. Like, I don't think, now, I don't think that they're playing around with it anymore. Yeah, whereas back you know, then they kind of were. Like, oh, well, 50 bucks will get him out. You know, now they're like, okay, well, five grand will get him out. You got five grand laying around? You going to call bondsman over that? A lot of people that I know, they're not going to do it. You know, you can sit. You did this. You sit. Now, some of them get smart and they try to get a lawyer. But at the end of the day, you know. So when you're saying you're, you, you brought up nine times out of ten, they're going to get a bond. So is that like, do you think that far ahead when you're sitting in that room and they're asking you? No. I think for me personally, like, Thinking far ahead is for me at that moment, as the farthest I thought was if I say yes, that I am abused, what is going to happen to my children? Because I had the kids at that time. Okay. What's going to happen to them? So, in that moment, I, I didn't care what was happening to me. I was, I was worried about them. Which is also a common thing that I've heard from you know, victims is that as as soon as children are involved, their own well-being, it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. You know? it, it doesn't because you, you're there to protect them at this point. Like, I can't tell you how many ass beatings I kids. Right. And it was worth every single one of them to make sure they were, they were safe. That was the most important thing to me. Right. Like, once you bring kids into it, it's a little, it's a little different. Yeah. Now, do you think that, how much of that do you think was due to trauma bonding? 
Because it's, it's it, so for like I understand trauma bonding in a way. Like he slapped you and then immediately said he was sorry. He loved you so much. That's how much he loved you. Like it drove him to madness. Whatever he said. When you had children, did that trauma bonding stop? Because did that like take the like take the wool off of your eyes per se? Yeah, I would say because now you have little ones watching. Yeah, I would say it did. It complicated things a little bit more, especially like I mean, from the first day they were born. I mean, it was you ever leave me, I'll take the kid. Never find me, you'll never find these kids. Right. Um, so it was okay. Now I'm in survival mode. Like I'm just trying to get pie. Right. I'm just trying to make sure they stay safe. Did it ever cross your mind that if you would have left earlier, you could have had a better life for your kid? Yeah. Honestly, um, I love my kids to death, but I think obviously I got pregnant with Landon in high school. Um, I think if I wouldn't have left right after high school with Landon to go be with him like he wanted, I would have never got pregnant with Elisa. I think different. But at the end of the day, after seven years, I mean, I, I everything happens for a reason. You know, I I feel like I went through that so I could overcome it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's made me, it's really humbled me as a person in general. Um, so I, I honestly do believe that like, yeah, the life would have been different, but would it have though? So what I would say is like, I can, I can definitely sympathize with what you're saying, but I think that's a dangerous game to play, especially so like in this setting here, people are listening to us talk about these things. So there will be someone out there who may hear this and is in this situation here. You say, well, it made me stronger. Well, that's because I got out. Right. You know, now staying in there, hell no, you're weak. Yeah. You are broke down. You are crippled. You. See, that's what, like, I wanted you to clarify that yeah. because I think someone might hear you say, well, it made me the person I am today. It made me stronger. They might use it as a justification to stay. Yeah. And that's at no point do we ever need to justify someone staying in a position where they're being abused. No. No. And you're right. Um, but yeah, no, when you're in that situation, you are, you're weak, you're, you're burnt out, you're, best way I can describe it is you're literally fighting for your life every single day. Right. So once you got out, like what is something that people can expect once they finally do make it out? You're going to be judged. That is something you're just going to have to deal with. Um, the question I hate the most, what made you st- which is the first one I asked you. That and why did you stay so long? Yeah. As a victim, I understand. Right. Because it's it's different. It's easy for someone like you to say, well, you could have just packed your shit up, called somebody and left. Well, there's more more reasons than just me not being a victim. You know, I'm a male. I'm yeah. physically stronger. I'm, I'm a lot bigger than you. Like it's, it's going to take a, somebody a lot bigger than me for me to not walk out this motherfucking door. Yeah. But then, of course, I say that shit, but look how many times I've been put in a position where I'm gaslit by women that are tiny like you. And it, it, I guess, I don't know. It's I don't want to say that it's just because I'm not a victim. There are other factors that make it easy for me to say it or for me, easy for me to ask that. 
Yeah. But those are the questions that really, right off the bat, people are going to ask you. And you're going to be like, you don't understand. And I used to tell people, you don't get it. Right. And people don't get it unless they live it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of factors. You know, like I said, it starts with the emotional and mental abuse. The isolation. Yeah, you got to break somebody down mentally Yeah. First. So once you're broke down mentally and you're isolated, because they're going to say things like, nobody's going to want you. Yeah. I'm the only person that's going to put up with you. Or you're never going to find anyone better than me. Or, um, you know, things like that. They literally just totally break you down. And when you're isolated, for instance, I live in Chill Coffee. Yeah. He took me all the way to Dayton. I, you know, I had no car because I wasn't allowed to have a car, wasn't allowed to have a license, no phone. Like, they completely, like, just cut off all resources that you have, which makes it harder for you to leave. And when you have, you know, children involved, and depending on, you know, there's different levels of domestic. Like, you know, there's obviously physical, even emotional abuse is domestic. Um, There's mental. But when you have someone so broke down... They honestly, honestly, the best way I can describe it, I felt like I deserved it. Right. Because he had me so broke down. That's, that's very common with victims, with domestic violence victims. I don't want to, I don't want to keep saying victims that it doesn't seem right. But I mean, you know, just because it sounds bad doesn't make it not. Yeah. So What was the emotional process once you were out? Because I understand that most likely the first few days is fear. It was a, it was hell. Um, honestly, I was ashamed. I felt guilty. As crazy as it sounds, like he did what he did. He deserved to go to jail. But you feel guilty. You feel so guilty that you put him in jail. And so it was a lot of guilt. I was angry. I was angry at myself uh, for even letting it get that bad. I was angry at myself for the kids. Uh, I was angry that I had to move back into my mom's house. I'd be mad about that. <laughs> you know, I was angry that, you know, when kids are involved, that's another thing you need to expect. Children's services is going to be up your ass. Yeah. And... At that moment, they they don't look at you as a victim. No. They look at you as... You, An enabler. Yep. You've put because your kids in this position. You let this happen for so long. Yes. And I, So I do understand their side of that, though. I do get that. Because it's your job as a mother to protect them. And from somebody on the outside, protecting them means keeping them away from those people. So I definitely understand like why, because they're it's a big red flag. So they left, you've left the situation, you've called the cops. There's been a DV. What else is going on that we didn't know about? You know. So I kind of get it, but I definitely understand what you're saying too. It's like, look, like I'm doing the right thing. Why are you up my ass? I remember when I was in the hospital um, that night, um, January twelfth. 2015, 6.30 p.m., those are dates that we'll never, you'll never forget. Um, when I was in the hospital, phone services obviously comes, and I remember telling them, 
this is why people don't report this. Yeah. They're, they're afraid of that exact thing. Yep. Because they were literally just grilling me, making me feel like I was this biggest piece of shit mother. Right. I mean, they could have, I would have rather them beat my ass than them tell me, you know, you're a piece of shit. Right. And, um, so that that's definitely a big expectation that you have to be completely prepared for. It doesn't mean you're a bad mom. A bad mom is taking a risk of letting your kids get hurt in another instance. A good mom is recognizing it, putting your foot down, getting the hell out. Right. And making a better life for your kids. So I was angry. Um, I was sad. You know, I spent seven years of my life with this person. My kids no longer have a dad at this point. You know, I just took that away from them. But was he really beneficial to their lives? No. Right. I think that's definitely a 2020 hindsight kind of thing. Like, it's going to take a minute before you actually look at the situation without bias, without any of those old feelings attached to it. You know, you're seven years out now. You can look back and be like, what a piece of shit he was. Oh, absolutely. You know, but in that moment, a month later, a month out. No, and and that's another thing too. Um, you're still questioning whether you did the right thing. Yeah, you feel guilty about he's in jail. Manipulation is one hell of a thing because they can still manipulate you from jail. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I left him four times before I finally put him in jail. So something that so the person that's in my life that has recently gone through this, one thing that the officers strongly suggested to her they said listen don't go back every time that you go back the chance of you not staying alive gets greater they said every time we get called back out for the same people usually for a body it's worse so much worse each time it's like it you know he might hit you once and you call and we come out and then you decide to go back next time we come out he's broken your fucking leg like they say it escalates exponentially each time they have to come out for the same people it does and you know statistics show that it takes seven times for a domestic violence victim to finally leave for good if they make it to that seventh time if they make it if they make it which so you brought up statistics i think this is a good time to let you know uh if you're dealing with this situation, there are resources for you to go to. There's a website called hotline.org. You can go on there. You can request help. You can request information, things like that. And they have a, a safety exit button at the bottom of the screen that you can press. If someone wants to like walk in real fast, you can hit that button. It will take the website down and delete itself from your history. So that way, if they snatch your phone, it's still, it's not going to be in your, the history for them to see and then punish you for. There's also the other website, which is the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. The National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Now, that was the website that you sent me that had all these statistics. And there was a lot of statistics on there that really surprised me. But, you know, listening to you and hearing other survivors' stories, it kind of makes sense. The one thing that doesn't add up to me was there's a statistic on there that says that 20% of all domestic violence cases happen with a weapon. But if someone has access to a firearm, 
you're 500% more likely to have a homicide instead of a DV. So do you see how I'm saying those statistics yeah. kind of don't make I sense I think to maybe me. in weapon, what they're referring to in the first part is like a knife or... Um, or a cane or something yeah, like that. something like belt. I mean, there's a lot of cases where man, like a child at, yeah. back in the old days rips off their belt and just beats her yeah. for him. You know, so I think in that aspect, I think they're referring to other objects compared to a firearm. And I can also say if there is a firearm in the house, be very leery of that. Um, because. All right. I'm sorry about that. My computer just randomly just shut down on me. So we were talking about weapons. I was talking about how um, the, st the statistics don't match up in my mind because it was it's weird that 20% involve a weapon, but then 500% more likely to end in a fatality if they have access to a firearm. That's where we were, I believe. Yes. Okay. And I said that the weapons I'm refer they're probably referring to are like knives and or canes or some used to, to hit other someone. objects. Yeah. yeah, improvised weapons. Whereas you know firearms, if there's a firearm in the house, you know be aware where it's at. Um, make sure that you definitely get the hell out if yeah. there's a firearm involved. Like. Um, I also, I know you were talking about um, the websites where that one website, if you click on it, it will yeah. delete it from the browser history. There's also an app. There's an app? There's an app. I don't know exactly. I'll have to get back with you on what the app's called. Okay. But I had it downloaded on my phone when I was able to have a phone. Um, it's just a secret app. It really, what you do is you set up an emergency contact in there. Yeah. And like, for instance, mine was my mom. So if they, it, I mean, it didn't really work for me because I not have a phone for very long. But what it does is like you set up your emergency contact. All you do is hit that app button and it won't call them. It won't do anything, but it will text your mom or whoever your emergency contact is. And it will also notify the police your address. Okay. And the police, that way you're not calling the police, but the police will be there. They'll show up. They'll show up. And that was a really useful tool, actually. Good. Glad to know that there are actual resources more than just all you need to get out, you know? Yeah. Oh, sorry. So it kind of broke our rhythm there for a minute with the computer <laughs> dropping. So when I asked you what can, what can you expect once you leave, like, do you, when you left, did you experience depression, suicidal ideation, things like that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was very, very depressed. Um, most of it was post-traumatic stress. Yeah. Um, even after seven years, I still have night tears occasionally. Um, but in the beginning and the first very few years, especially if you don't get help, um, like mental health help, see a therapist, you will experience night tears a lot. And with those night tears, I mean, you pretty much relive it. It is like a movie playing in your head where you close your eyes, and then it causes you not to want to sleep. Right. Now, did you experience things like um, like you didn't want people to touch you, things like that? I'm still like that to this day. Okay. Um, it's very weird for me. Like, if people make, like, fast motions towards me, I'm like, oh, you know? Yeah. 
Um, loud noises. Usually before my assaults happen, there would be something thrown or broken or uh, screaming. or So when things are get real loud for me, it's kind of a little bit triggering. I can function more better than what I could back then. Back then, like if you were to drop that cup on the ground, like I would have flipped out, like, right. it, you know, it would have taken you straight back. Yeah. Now, when you're talking about like sudden movements and sudden noises, is it different if you're in a scenario, say like, okay, you've been out for a year, you go to a concert where everything is loud, everything is moving quick the whole time. Is it easy to adjust to those situations or does it still get you? It still gets you. It's like the whole close proximity with people looking over your shoulder. You know, you're still to this day after seven years, like I always scan to see where is he out? You know, what's he, is he in my town? Is he? Yeah. And still to this day, when I see someone that resembles his features, it, I just have this like, oh my God, like anxiety. Yeah, like a, a feeling in your chest, you know, that panic. Yeah. That what if that is him? Yeah. And I actually did run into him um, about a week, two weeks ago. And like I said, seven years, and I still had to fight back a panic attack because I, I haven't really seen him. I put him away. Right. So you, you've been involved in healthcare situations. You've been a healthcare professional before yourself you know you've been in the trenches of all these things and mental health is a big part of your life when it comes to therapy and stuff like that so do you have do you think there's a link between narcissism and abuse yeah i do um most abusers do have narcissistic tendencies it's they they're superior it's just kind of like a beating you down type thing most yeah. narcissistics do other people down so when the person in my life who mentioned this to me they said that they think that you know all abusers are narcissists i would i had to sit for a minute and think about it because there's there's a person that i follow who educates on narcissism he has narcissistic personality disorder he's using his platform to educate people about narcissism and from what like he he'll duet people on tiktok that he's like hey i think this is i think this person could have it like this is these are narcissistic behaviors and i think we kind of it, it falls into a weird thing for me because i'm seeing like adhd tiktok it is being crammed down everyone's throat and i'm watching people self-diagnose and say oh i have adhd or oh hey i'm neurodivergent and it's like you're not you're just seeing it constantly it's getting in your head mm -hmm. you know that's the power of suggestion and we we all have a little bit of hypochondria with it yeah so when i sat and thought about it for a minute i, I told her i said i think that uh i think that all abusers have narcissistic tendencies i think all narcissists are abusers but i don't think all abusers are narcissists they might have tendencies but i don't think yeah i would say that it's more tendencies than anything because when you're abusing somebody like i said it starts without with the manipulation which is a big narcissist Tendency. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, to actually be diagnosed as a narcissist, you have to go to a doctor. Um, yeah. Just like, you know, obviously I'm getting a bachelor's in psychology. I'm almost done. 
Hell yeah. Um, I have three classes left. Getting ready to start the last two, so one more. Woot woot. And um, after taking the classes and taking abnormal psychology, like, first of all, I don't recommend because you're always out diagnosing people. Yeah. Like, you know, like, oh, well, they have psychosis. This falls in with psychosis. Like, um, but I think a lot of, like, people do Google to diagnose things, which is the worst. Um, unless you actually study whatever it is that you're looking up and you get reparable sources, yeah. such as, like, Cleveland Clinic is a good one to go to. Um, there's a medical encyclopedia out there. And when you do, like, for instance, you get on WebMD, they're going to say... Yeah, WebMD is fucking wild. They can turn a zit into cancer. They really can. And I don't, like, I don't <laughs> understand why WebMD has been allowed to just go. Actually, in my class, because I'm in health and human disease right now, you are not allowed to use WebMD. That's what I'm saying. Like, it is <laughs> wild to me how this has gone on for so long. They've turned chicken like pox Wikipedia. into the plague. Like... It's like Wikipedia. Well, Wikipedia is a little different because there's, I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's one man who's dedicated his entire fucking life to making Wikipedia correct information. Really? Yeah. It, he, they tallied it up and they said that he has edited like close to 780,000 articles to be correct information. Wow. Yeah, it's wild. He yeah. just, he re, it's what he does. He researches things. He goes on Wikipedia and he's like, this is incorrect. And he will change and add sources and make it correct. The Wikipedia, in my opinion, is a little bit more reputable because it's like, you know, it's Wikipedia. Sure, you've got your shit answers. But for the most part, when you look them up, you can look at it and be like, that's a shit answer. And you go on your day. Yeah. But where it comes to WebMD, like, like I said, they will turn a pimple into cancer. Oh yeah, instantly. Like, oh, you've got you've got adult acne. It's got to be skin cancer. <laughs> it's like, no, it does. I just might have adult acne. Like, that's the. <laughs> oh yeah, and that's you know. So when we're talking about narcissists and stuff, like my personal opinion is everybody has a little bit of a narcissistic tendency. You, well, yeah. You, me, you know, the dog. Whatever, like everyone has that narcissistic tendency. It's when those tendencies become out of control, manipulative, uh, dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, because in some way or another, you've manipulated somebody. I've manipulated somebody to get what you want. Well, all life is manipulation. Yeah. It's, so, I just think it depends on whether or not it's malicious man manipulation or because, I mean, l look at dating. Yeah. Dating in general. You hide the crazy. There is manipulation involved. You know, I'm going to take you to a nice restaurant so you think nice things about this interaction. You're already in good mood because I took you to the nice restaurant. Yeah, it or, was stuff like that. You know, for instance, with, you know, Garrett, I used to rub his back when we first started dating. Now I pay for Brickhaven too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Garrett. Listen. <laughs> If you're watching this, bud, you that's it. You get free reign to use that forever. <laughs> you know, I used to rub his back all the time when we were fresh in the relationship. Just like I hid my crazy for the first part. Just for the first part? Just for the first part. I had to reel him in. 
Oh, uh, okay. Know? Okay. Oh, she's she's cool. She's down to earth. Bam. Bam. And you know, and that's a lot of like <laughs> dating violence in general. I mean, they hide those tendencies. Those aren't just like, oh, hey, let's get together so I can abuse you. So, this is gonna. This question is probably gonna be a little abrasive to you. How many times do you think it's a false accusation? There are people out there that are completely manipulative and crazy and just really want to fuck somebody over. And so they do make false accusations. Oh, for instance, with, you know, my abuser, when I would call the cops, another reason why I never did he would literally beat the shit out of himself so we both would go to jail. And there are people out there. I mean, I've worked on all walks of life. I have seen people be like, okay, well, you piss me off, then guess what? I'm going to just beat the shit out of myself, call the cops, and tell them that you did. Right. You know, and so there are false accusations, which makes it hard for true victims because people get complacent. Police get complacent. Um, healthcare people get complacent because they're like, oh, you know, just had a case earlier today where it was a bunch of bullshit. Right. And now this person's calling and, you know, got to go out here. Which was, that was another statistic that really surprised me. Over 20,000 calls a day. 20,000 calls a day on average about domestic violence. So I can definitely understand because, like, I remember specifically there's an interview with a policeman where they're like, why didn't you fucking catch this? And he's like, I'm leaving right now to go to a house where a mother and her daughter were beat to death. I'm sorry if I missed something. Yeah. So, like, I can definitely understand how, you know, law enforcement and paramedics, and they can be overwhelmed. And it's, you know, at some point you kind of get burnt out. You do, and burnout is a big part of it. And, you know, like we said earlier, it's frustrating to a police officer to go out there because they're to serve and protect. Yeah. To go out there for this domestic violence case, and then the male or whoever the victim is doesn't want to press charges all of a sudden. Yeah. And, like, to me, because I've had friends since I've been out of mine be in relationships like that, and I literally want to strangle them. I want to beat my head off a wall and be like, listen, you dumb bitch, you know, get out. But in like when you said, even if you're not ready to get out, get out. That is a big thing because you're never going to be ready. You will never be ready, but you have to pull the trigger. And sitting from a standpoint, like when I was going through my shit, I never. Just to clarify, we are not saying kill people. (laughs) Yeah. We're saying, you know. (laughs) Make the decision. Don't pull the trigger. I mean, <laughs> if you have to, do it. But, um, you know, now that I'm out, I see what you guys went through with me. Like, how frustrating it is. How frustrating it is because all you want to do is help, but you can't. But you can't because that's their decision. And you know, now I'm like, shit. I'm sorry for everything I put you all through because I literally want to choke some of my friends out that are in those situations because I'm like. It's there. You know, you've admitted to me that that's what's happening. Yeah. Like. Well, I think you also need to remember that, you know, even though we were frustrated with you, 
it was nothing compared to what you were going through. Yeah. You know, we can tell, I can tell you to your, I'm blue in the face that you need to do something or that, you know, Hey, you know, stop feeding the alligators. They keep biting your hand. It's still not going to be worse than the alligator biting your hand. Oh, absolutely. And another thing is, is like, after, if you're in it for so long, you get used to it. Like, honestly, after starting a new relationship, after I got out of that, obviously I waited a while. In my mind, men were shit. Yeah. And, you know, all men were the same. And you, I was always cautious, wouldn't let my guard down. Like, um, that stuff carries over to other relationships. Oh, for sure. You know, for instance, like, trust issues. He was always out cheating. You know, so I'm like, your new person has to pay for what that other person did. And you really have to try really hard not to make them pay for that. I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that, you know, so I've started reading a book called Codependent No More. You know, it talks about how codependents are made, how you have to go through and deal with this. And it there's a statement in there. It's, you know, you're aware now. Once you're aware of it, you have no excuse. It's your responsibility. It is not your fault that you have this pain or this trauma or whatever you want to call it, but it is your responsibility. You know, if a random stranger walks up in the middle of the night and sets a baby on your doorstep, that baby is not your fault, but that baby is your responsibility. Whether that be you're going to take the baby, take it to a fire station, get it through CPS, whatever. For the moment, that baby is your responsibility, you know, so it's the same way with pain. You know, when you're starting a new relationship, I understand those tendencies are still going to be there. You know, being a codependent, I struggle with transference a lot. I be transferring feelings from this person over to this person, and I don't even know this person, you know? Yeah. The same thing happens with pain and trauma. This person beat me, so I'm waiting for the, the red flags in this person. When is it going to, it's not a, if it's going to start, it's when it's going to start in your mind. And you start trying to nitpick and look for them yeah. because you just don't trust that things can be good. Right. You don't trust that this is, could be a really good person. This is a really good guy. Yeah. But so is he in the beginning. Right. So now you're like, oh, okay. Or he's having a bad day and he wants to yell and whatever, you know. Yeah, that bad day is your, you know, um. Your confirmation that yeah. he's oh, a monster. Yep. yep, he's a monster. He's piece shit. Right. You know, he's just like the rest of them. Or, well, something that I found reading this book is that a lot of people that like struggle with codependency. You know, this this particular case, this woman said that she was her husband was an alcoholic. He was this doing this and that. He'd always have to clean up his messes. And then she's like, then it dawned on me that I am making this big bad day out of nothing out of nothing he's been going to therapy in aa and has been sober for eight months so eight months later after he has corrected the issue he is doing what he is supposed to be he's doing still paying penance she was still bitter still angry about it still you know it's this is all his fault when in reality like once the realization hit her like this is on me and I thought about that in my own life, how many times where it's not in a situation with anybody. Like, 
I'm not even talking to anybody in any kind of way right now, but I still, I still view certain things and people that way. So it's been a really eye-opening thing for me. The transference has. Now I'm sorry. I'm sorry to get off topic. I do that. <laughs> um, I know we don't have a lot of time here. So to move on, we talked about the false accusations. Oh, um, when it comes to false accusations and things like that, when it comes to the courtroom. There are a lot of people that, you know, the the perpetrator will get a lawyer, and then that lawyer will be like, "Why did you stay? Why didn't you leave?" They put it's, they it's, crucify it's, victims. Yeah, it's it's the victim blaming. Like, why do you think that's allowed in courtrooms? When a case, um, make that's your job as an attorney is to sit there and make the witness. Alter. Yeah, look, make them look bad. Yeah, and there is a lot of victim blaming. I mean, people blame victims all the time. And, you know, I mean, hell, even with your friends, you're like, well, you know, we knew it was happening. Yeah. You know, told you it was going to happen. You didn't want to fucking listen. Yeah. Um, Which you've had to say to me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, But, you know what I mean? Like, at, people... Victim blame because it's easier to blame the victim because they don't want to see, like, such as family members. When family members of a perpetrator. Oh, yeah, those are the biggest, biggest enablers. My baby boy would never do that. My yeah. baby girl could never, ever do that. You know? Yes. Um, and it's, if, well, if you wouldn't have done this, this, and this, then my son or my daughter wouldn't have reacted in such a way that got you hurt. Yeah. That, I mean, more specifically, what would you say to somebody who is going up, we'll say, is fighting a court battle with somebody who abused them? Because like, I would want to say, you know, don't be afraid of the courtroom. Yeah, don't be afraid because that was your opportunity to tell your story. And the defense is going to pick you apart and try to make find flaws in your story. Tell your story. Get your story out there because... There's people out there that believe that it is your fault. And this is your chance to show them that, no, he is a monster. He needs help. Right. Or she needs help. Or whatever. They or them or their whatever. Um, you know, that is your chance to tell your story and get your story out there. And to show the strength of going into that courtroom with your head held high. It's okay to cry in a witness stand. Yeah. It is absolutely okay. And a lot of the times... Um, if victims advocates, when you're in a domestic violence situation, you'll have an advocate that is appointed to you from the county that you're in. Now, what is an advocate? An advocate is a person that will represent you throughout your court, um, your court cases. They will, you know, point you in right directions to get help. They're pretty much your person to lean on. Okay. And kind of like a sponsor. Yeah, kind of like a sponsor. And a lot of the times. Um, unless they really press for you to go up on the stand, they'll allow you to write a witness testimony statement. So you don't have to go. So, yeah, so you don't have to go up there. It's actually called a victim impact statement. So um, with that, it, it, do you have to face your perpetrator in the court? No. They tried to prevent that. There will be times where you do, um, but most likely no. The most likely what happens is, is you know, your advocate will go and represent you or you will go while they take them 
yeah. outside so you could say what you want to say without being scared. Yes. Things like that. They would allow like a video. Okay. Like, you know, he'd be able to watch you on video, but he wouldn't be able to get, give you the death stare. He wouldn't be able to, you know what I mean? Yeah, because most of the time, so like when I was in jail, when we did, we had a video arraignment. Mm-hmm. And all, in my video arraignment, we were all in this room. You went up, you sat in the chair in front of the camera, and you talked to the judge. But the judge was the only one that could see you. And you could only see the judge. Now, I don't know if in the courtroom there was like TVs up for other people to see who was on the screen or not. But in the jail, you could only see the judge. You couldn't even see anything else. So I wonder if there's a screen on the judge's desk or if it's also linked to like TVs for other people to see. I don't know. But I imagine that that's probably a lot better when it comes to the cases like this because someone seeing their perpetrator would instantly send them back. Yeah. In all honesty, I didn't have to go to court for mine. Um, I mean, I went to court, but I didn't have to physically appear in court. My advocate did all that for me. I wrote my victim impact statement. She gave it to the judge. They read it aloud in court, what have you. Now, they'll give you the option, do you feel comfortable coming to the court? Right. I said no. I, because I knew after leaving and going back, leaving and going back multiple times, he always found a way to manipulate me to come back. Yeah. And I knew if I saw him. You had to go no contact. Yeah, like me, I had to cut off everything. I mean, I had to phone numbers. I had to walk on social media. Well, yeah, even his, his family. His whole family, yes. Yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. Like I I knew if there was a little inkling of someone contacting me on his behalf and saying the sweet nothings that were often so right that I would not be strong and I would go back. So that's actually a technique. It's called triangulation. And it's where, you know, you break up with somebody and then you get your buddy to be like, hey, you know, I I don't know if you know me or not, but uh, I ran into your ex the other day and he is just tore the fuck up. He's in love with you and this and that. So you, you still get that message. It's called triangulations where you bring a third party in. So it's really, it's very important that if you do cut contact, you have to con- cut contact with everybody. Yep. And honestly, that is the best way to escape and be completely done is just cut contact with everyone. Well, see, and that's something, that's actually a pretty common theme for more than just this. Like I, my brother has asked me, my brother's an addict and he's asked me multiple times. And he's like, you know, I don't know how to change this. I was like, you have to stop hanging out with everybody you love. Yeah. You like, can't go back to, you can't be in an environment where things like that are where, available. Yeah. Easily available. Like you have to make it super hard where you have to jump after hoop after hoop. And by that point you're like, fuck it. I don't want to do all this. And seeing like, he's got friends that will show up at the house. Yeah. No. So they know where he lives. So he's like, and that's what he asked me. He's like, well, these, these motherfuckers will show up like, Hey, where you been? They're worried about me. I said, Jay, you know, they might be worried about you. They might even love you. But let me tell you, when they come knocking, you have to ignore that knock. Uh, those demons will always be or, with me. even better, you can open the door and say, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I love you. But I, I've got to do something different. I have to ask you not to come back. Yeah. That's hard. It's really hard. And if they're your people, they'll respect it. And that's, what I, that's what I told him, too. And he knows that. He knows these things. You know, if somebody 
if somebody really loves you and they're not ready to get out the game, they're still going to stay away from you because they want you out the game. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. something that's interesting when you, when it comes to addicts is everybody wants to get out the game, but nobody knows how to support each other enough to get out. Yep. I know that was a little tangent, and I'm sorry about <laughs> that. But So we have went over about you know what you're going to experience once you leave. We've ex- talked about how to get out, the resources available, which, by the way, I'm going to link the two websites that we talked about on here to the posts so and on my YouTube just so if you need those links, you can have them. And also, um, if you were to call a domestic violence hotline – and you want to get out, you're ready to go. What happens with that is, it sounds kind of creeperish, um, but there's a facility or a house or whatever it is, wherever wherever you're located is. I know in Dayton it was a facility. Um, but nobody knows the address. Nobody knows where this facility's at. Nobody. Yeah. Uh, what they do is they'll set up a meeting place with you. They'll come get you. They'll take you to that facility. Gotcha. And it's gated. And like I said, nobody knows where it's at. It's safe house. It's a safe house. It's completely off the grid. You can't get on Google and say domestic violence shelter. Like it. Right. They won't be able to get you. And it's gated and it's armed by officers. Yeah. That's good. I, I didn't know that. So I'm glad that you brought that up. So being out now for seven years. Do you still do you still struggle with self worth? Yes. Now, do you think that it has to do with that, or is it new things, or just life in general? I think a lot of it has to do with that um, feeling, you know, as if you're not good enough, um, because that's what he he would say. Yeah. You know, feeling, especially being in a relationship. Um, I'm married now, obviously, and. Um, Constantly wondering, you know, am I making him happy? You know, he upset with me as if he, his little mood changes. Like, that's a big thing for me. Like, oh. You got hypervigilance. Yeah, I'm, I'm super, super in tune with other people's. I'm an empath. And I think it's from that because you had to. <laughs> well, yeah, I think most people that are in situations where they have to survive these things, you'll learn really quick survival mode how to read someone's versus their, yeah. you know, you can read that quick. You pick up on it. And of course that's an exaggerated thing because most people see that and they're like, well, of course he threw his phone down, but it goes deeper than that. Yeah. You come in, you give someone a kiss, say, Hey, how's your day? But one day they come in, they just walk right past you and you know, like the little subtle hey. things or they'll even still give you a kiss but it'll be a, like a, a peck instead of a text kiss. Text messages, text yes. messages. Like I don't say to, you know, when I tell Garrett I love him or if he says I love you, I say I love you. I don't say I love you too and neither does he. It's a stupid little corny thing where I'd say, oh, so you love me also. Okay. As in, so who's the other person, you know, something right. corny. So if he says like love you instead of I love you, I'm like, oh, what's wrong? Hey, hey wait. Wait, yeah, wait, wait. You didn't who, put the I in front of that. Who loves me? Right? What is, what is this? Like, so, yeah, self-worth has been a really big thing for me. Um, just because I was so beat down. You know, I constantly feel like I'm not good enough. And 
you know, I know like a couple weeks ago, I was sitting on the porch of the house, sitting there thinking like, damn, I've came a long fucking way. Yeah. I mean, I came a long ass way. Be proud of yourself. Too. I am, you know, and that was a good feeling. Cause I'm like, you know, I was feeling down. It was one of those days where you just feel sad and depressed and, you know, looking back, I'm like, damn, I, I have accomplished a lot, mm-hmm. you know, with every obstacle thrown at me, you know, like I have a house over my head or a roof over my head. It's our house. You know, my electric's not shut off and turned on illegally. I have food in the house because there was times where we didn't even have food in the house. Yeah. You know, the electric wasn't on. I had to heat water up on a stove because our gas was shut off. So we could take baths once a week. Like it, it was a rough life. That was living with my abuser. That wasn't my childhood. Right. Um, <laughs> just to clarify, we had electric when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, going from that and going from constantly, you know, worried like am I going to make it to work today because you know he was notorious because he knew that I was the only income person that but he didn't work no he did not work at all and his tactic when he was get pissed off at me and it wasn't like I don't know maybe he's too tired to beat the shit out of me or what he would just take off and leave and I'd have no one to watch the kids to go to work I had no phone, so I couldn't call. So I was a no-call, no-show. And shout out to that place of employment that kind of figured it out and understood and didn't fire me. Because, I mean, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, he even showed up to my work because he wouldn't take me to work, refused to take me to work. And one of my friends came and picked me up, and her boyfriend worked with us too. So I'm in the car with another man. And he shows up to my work and rips me out of that car. And I couldn't even go in. They didn't even know. I didn't show up technically. Didn't clock in or nothing. Rips me out of the car and throws me in his and beats the shit out of me. Blase, blase. You know, like, they fuck with you. They fuck with your livelihood. They fuck with your place of employment. They will do anything and everything to keep you down. So sitting back and looking on that, like, I got a really good job. I already have an associate's degree. I'm almost done with a bachelor's, getting ready to go to law school, hopefully, if I pass the LSAT. Um, but you will. You know, I have three beautiful children. I have a great husband. Like, the, Shout out to Garrett. Yeah. Ooh. Like, the little things in life that, you know, where I was back then, I dreamt for all of this. And it was like a humbling aspect because now that I have all this, I want more, you know? I want that Mercedes-Benz car. But back yep. back then... I just wanted to be able to get my bills paid. You know, something, uh, uh, when you talk about humbling moments, one of the humbling moments that I experienced was, again, with my brother. He, he come over, he was looking around the house and stuff like that, and, like, mom always tells me that I'm the only one who's done what they're supposed to do. I'm doing good, this and that. But you don't, you know, you don't feel it in the moment. You're just like, Mm-mm, like I've got, I've got to fix my life. And it's like, my life's not broken. It's just not where I want it to be. But Jay said, he's he, like, man, you know, there's a, there's times I get jealous of you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, man, you got a nice car. You got a brand new TV. You got a nice ass house, this and that. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, yeah, this is a nice home. But I need, I want more. I want, you know, a big house. I want new things, this and that. And it's like, the moment hit me, I was like, 
Yes. The things that I'm taking for granted are someone else's dream. Absolutely. And that's how I looked at it. Like, you know, seven years ago, I would have done anything to be where I am now. And I would have been satisfied. Hell, I would have been, you know, there was times when I was pregnant with Aaliyah and working at McDonald's because I lost my job because of him. And um, I had to choose my free meal at McDonald's to either feed the baby I was growing inside of me or take it home to the starving two-year-old at the house, you know? And now, you know, and that's the difference between, like... Now there ain't no hungry bellies. No, now there's not any hungry bellies. And, like, you know, for instance, like, Garrett, he's like, oh, all these kids waste food all the time. And I'm like, hell, I'm happy we can waste food. <laughs> like, right, you yeah. know? Um. You know, first time I moved out on my own after all of that, um, hell, I turned every fucking light on in the house, in the apartment. Just because you could? Just because I had electricity and I could. Like, people don't think about, you know, we don't think about electricity. It's just, oh, yeah, you know, fucking light bill every month. But when you don't have that, it's great. When you don't have a, you know, a bed to sleep in, like... And I look, you know, and I was looking back too, like with him being on drugs the way he was, how the fuck did I not end up on him? Yeah. Because I had every opportunity to go down that path too, just to cope. I think, I think what kept you away from it is the fact that you understood that that was the, the cause. That was the source of the problem. Yeah. You know, I'm in that instance, you know, I'm not saying, I mean, he didn't have a job. He was fucking up. He was beating you, things like that. So that's, he is the source of the issue. But when it came to the money issue, the biggest source was his drug problem. Oh, yeah. You know, is it guarantee you the checks that you brought home weren't always going to bills? Uh, I didn't even get my checks. That's another thing, too. Like when people are like, well, you need to save money, um, you know, put money in a separate special account that he doesn't know about from your paychecks. This crazy motherfucker. I did that one time. I got like this little prepaid card and I deposit like literally $25 out of my paycheck mm -hmm. into this account. It's going to take forever to get enough money, but it was subtle, you know? He wouldn't notice $25. Best fucking believe his ass noticed $25 first time. Yeah, that's what I don't think a lot of people understand is that that's actually very common is that you know, once they isolate you, they control your money as well. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and that doesn't happen in just abusive relationships either and a lot of people don't realize that there's financial like, abuse too well no I, I i'm not i'm not coming at it from a point of financial abuse but there are just people that are very very money-minded you know it's like you know i've got i had a friend the other day we were running around town and they offered to let me use their discount on something so it would be cheaper and i'd just pay them back i said cool, let's run over, I'll draw the money out of the ATM, I'll hand you the money, that way you've got it. And what they were going to do is they was literally just going to swoop around the ATM and put the money I gave them back into their account, right? Before we had time to swoop around, their wife texted them and was like, the fuck did you just spend this amount of money for? What was that? What are you doing? Like I mean, like that because they they have alerts set up because they are that money minded. They have to know where the money is. I think a, another thing too is like because of all that control, um, mine and Garrett's money separate. 
Yeah. Like we do not put our money together. Like, and for the longest time I was real big about, oh, his ass ain't going on none of these bills. Cause if anyone's leaving, it's him. Right. Like it's my shit. You know, I was real big about that. I think that's, uh, you know, you, you swing the other direction. Whereas you've been controlled for so long. I have now to control. Nobody's going to fucking control me. Yep. And it's, it's to the point where it's, it, it stems from trust issues. You know, uh, hyper independence. Yep. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. And like Garrett has told me before, like you're too fucking independent. Like it was cute when we were getting together, but like we're married and we have three kids. Yeah. Like, um, chill out just, yeah. just a little bit. Chill. Yeah. Hey, have a seat, yeah. you know? And now, now he complains I'm too needy, but you know, I don't, I don't do yard work. I am not an outdoorsy person. Could give a fuck less. Hate bugs. I'd rather go get my sun tan from the tanning bed. Right. Um, I don't know how to change a tire. I don't know how to check my oil. Right. Like, tried to mow the lawn when my father-in-law was in the hospital. Didn't work out for me. Didn't even know how to start the lawnmower. So when he tells me I'm too independent, I'm like, but I need you for these things. I mean, that's also, <laughs> but that's actually not a bad point. You know, that's actually, you know, that's communication. That's examples. Like, hey. It's because I don't need you to pay these bills. I still need you for, you know, car maintenance or this or that. They're, you're giving him examples of ways that you do need him, and that's good for reassurance, especially if he's feeling like, like you don't even need me. What's the point, you know? And he told me, like, you know, we've had conversations before. Like, he's like, you're, you're a really intimidating woman. He said, you're very intimidating. He goes, and it's not because you're, like, six foot seven and, you know, 900 pounds fight men on the daily he's like you're literally like a midget probably weigh 80 pounds he goes but you're scary he goes because you've been through some shit he goes so nothing scares you he well, said yeah. and he's like and you have this sense of i don't need a motherfucker i got me right you know he's like and that's intimidating for men um, he's like, that's intimidating for me. He goes, because I was always raised that the man is supposed to be the provider. The provider. The, yeah. He's like, so, you know, you have to pull the reins back a little bit, Charles, and let me do some shit. Let me provide some shit because I feel invalidated by you. Like, and so that was a, that was a big issue because I was very independent. I think I kind of laid off the whole independent shit. About the time when I got around into therapy, which was about a year ago. I don't necessarily, this is a hard, this is a little bit of a harder topic to talk about when it comes to the, you know, because I'm not intimidated by independent women. I mean, I'm just not like, you can pay your bills, pay them, boo. <laughs> like, if I ain't got to pay them, cool. Because I'm at a point now where I'm I'm really trying to be like, I'll work on me, you work on you. Let's walk together, not because of each other. Yeah. You know, um, and I don't, I use the word because I don't have another one for it, but it's not necessarily your responsibility that he feels insecure about not being able to provide or not providing. I'm not saying he can't, just that you won't let him. Yeah. You know, so when he says you got to pull the reins back a little bit and let me do things, like you can just as easily look at him and be like, go do them. Yeah, I'm know. not going to stop doing them because you want me to I'm let you do them. You just do them. Yeah, like the whole 
control factor thing. You know, I was controlled for so long that I do have a control problem. Like, you know, the kids, for instance, will help try to wash the dishes and pick up after themselves. And then I'm like, you're not fucking doing it right. Yeah. I want it done this way. And that That's a big issue because, like, I, you know, in a way, I've kind of became, you know. Um, that was also with place of employment. Had to be in um, previous employment. Yeah. Um, but you know, being in therapy, and I told my therapist, like, I have this fucking problem where nobody can do anything right for me. Like everybody just fucks it up. Yeah. I, you know, I have all the stress on me because nobody helps me. Like nobody helps you because you don't let them. Right. You know. Um. So going to therapy, I can honestly say, like, if you're in that situation, you're not gonna want to jump into the therapist's couch, like. In a month or so, it literally took me six years. Yeah. Um. You think you're fine. You don't want to admit it, but in all in all honesty, I was in denial too. Um. I didn't think I needed it. I thought I could self cope, self heal, and it doesn't work. Um. You need to talk to somebody about it because you can't work through it if you don't talk about it. Right. But in another aspect, you also have to be ready. I was not ready for many years. Like I said, six years. I didn't want to have to tell the story. I didn't want to have to give every detail. I didn't want to feel judged. Yeah. Um, and as a therapist, you know, you can sit here and tell your friends the story all day long. But at the same time, you leave parts out because some of them are gruesome. You don't want to tell them that because it hurts them. Yeah, so that was yeah, especially because it's like you know, when you when you recount these stories, and there are stories that I was there for. I remember Landon's hand being broke, and it's like looking back on it, there are times where it's like I could have done more. Now, in the grand scheme of things, I couldn't have. No, there was nothing that I could have done because you were still going to do what you were going to do, but. Looking back, you know, when I was at that age, like I would have tried, you know. So I understand what you mean by you leave certain things out for your friends to protect them and their state of mind or whatever. What I would suggest, though, is like I understand you're saying you got to be ready for therapy. But I don't think anybody ever is really like ready for therapy. I guess I, like you feel like, oh, I need to talk to somebody about this. This is a problem. I need to go talk to somebody. You got to be open minded, I guess. Um, I went to, you know, I did try to go to therapy afterwards and stuff. Never worked out because you don't want to hear that. Yeah. You have a label. You have a label diagnosis. You have post-traumatic stress disorder. You Wait, know? Uh, so something just actually clicked in my brain. Do you think that the reason people avoid therapy after getting out of these situations is because they fear vulnerability because it's a way to control. Yeah. Like if I give you this information, you're going to hold it over my head. Yeah. So even though it's a therapy, even though it's a licensed practicing who has position, no ob or no care, what the hell you do. Right. Has, you have nothing. All you're doing is it's paying just their the distrust of the giving yes. information. And another thing too is like, you know, the way I thought is like, okay, if I tell you, Everything that happened, are you going to turn against me and report me as well? You know, are you going to testify on his behalf during court? Oh, are you talking about friends or therapists there? Therapists. 
you know? Really? Like, yeah, I didn't trust my therapist. Yeah. Like, all the ones I went to did not trust him because, you know, this was a big-ass shit. Like, yeah, like, if you admit to them the one time you hit them with a bat to defend yeah, yourself, exactly. are they going to flip? Yeah, are they going to, okay, I got to call this in, you yeah. know? And so that was a big, like, I ain't going in there and telling you shit, you know? Right. Um, now, being in therapy now, you've seen that it could be different. Absolutely. I've told my therapist everything. Right. I have started from the beginning of time to everything, from thoughts, suicidal ideations I had. You know, I did try to take my life because of all of this, not only with him when I was with him, but after him as well. Um, you know, with him, I wanted to kill myself because I was, I felt being dead was better than dealing with what I was dealing with. Right. You know, and, you know, and people don't understand like brainwashing is real. Oh, yeah. And that's what abusers do. They brainwash you. And he had me so, like, he would always tell me I was nuts. I was crazy. I, you know, I, w I was the issue. I started believing I was crazy. Like, I started, I wasn't able to disassociate between what was real and what wasn't at that point. Like, did he really just hit me? Or am I just imagining that he hit me? You know, it. That's a wild thought. Yeah, like, maybe I'm taking this out of context. Maybe he didn't hit me. Well, that's part of gaslighting, too. Yeah, like, you literally, it, you get so crazy that you just don't real on what's not anymore. And you feel crazy. And then, you know, when I was telling my therapist about that, um, she's like, no. She goes, that was his way. He goes, he, she, he got you exactly where he wanted you. Yeah. He had you to the point where you didn't even believe what was happening at that point. And so I told her, you know, obviously the last two years, I did start fighting him back. I was completely numb. I felt nothing. I didn't even care. I wanted, this is really deep, but I wanted him to kill me. Just so it'd be over. Just so I would be out of my misery. I wanted him to. So I didn't care anymore. We all real grateful that he didn't. <laughs> yeah. Grateful so, you made it. But, you know, and that, that's how bad it can really get. Like, you're begging for those ass whoopings. Because you want him to go so fucking nuts that he just kills you. And the way I looked at it, like the day that happened, all of that happened, he hit me and I said, one of, you know, I told myself, one of two things is going to happen tonight. Either I'm going to prison or he is. Or one of us is leaving in the casket. Yeah. You know, that, that's just how it's going to be. I knew it was going to be a death match. Be World War Three up in that bitch. And I knew it was. You know, and when I originally started running that night to go to the neighbor's house to call the police, he pops out the door and says, watch what I do to these kids. Naturally, I turned around, went back in. I wouldn't have got beat so bad if I wouldn't have went back in. But I'm also glad because when I walked in, he did have our one-year-old daughter by her neck getting ready to snap her neck. He, and that image is forever engraved in my head. I see it every night when I close my eyes, like... That's fucked me up. What if I wouldn't have went back? You know? How would have I lived with myself at that point? But, you know, I was able to get the kids round up, you know, got them safe, took my ass whooping, 
got the police there, you know. I didn't know you ever did that. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff I spared people. Like, my mom just found out about the rape. Like, just told her about it. Like, there's a lot of stuff I I never told because I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to talk about it, you know? Now I'm like, yeah. I think that, so, you know, I always preach a lot of shit. I'd be preaching all the time. But I think you having the courage to tell your story gives someone else the courage to tell theirs. I and I think a lot of people are, they kind of just wait for permission almost. Yeah. You know, is it safe to share this here? So, you know, in a situation where, you know, so something that the person in my life has said, she's reached out to other survivors. So that's something I would advise too. Like if you're going through this situation, and you're, you finally get out, reach out to other survivors, create a support system you know is safe. Yes, and there's no judgment there. I mean, at all, because we've all been there. We've all done it. We're not going to ask you, well, you could have left at that point, or why'd you leave, you know, five and a half times? Or Yeah, they're not going to break your story down into, of a, oh, well, you missed your opportunity right here between this and this incident. Yeah, like... You know, no, we don't do that. And you're right. Survivor, like I reached out. I had a survivor um, that I reached out to. I worked with her. She obviously wasn't oblivious to what the hell was going on. Well, she probably recognized all the patterns. Absolutely, she did. And we're really good at that. Once you get out of victim mode and into survivor mode, you can spot it from a mile away. Um, And so she knew. And she would always tell me, you know, look, this is only going to get worse. Now, I I understand what you're going through. I've been there, but it can be done. You, know, you can get out. It's not going to be easy by any means. It's not going to be easy. You are going to struggle. You are going to question. You are going to, you know, go down this dark rabbit hole. But you need to think about your children. You need to get out. And I'm like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, you don't have to tell me anything. I know. Yeah. And, you know, we got close and it was just something like she would always, she, when are you plan on leaving? Oh, no, things are great. Okay. You know, but that night, she, after I called the police, um, before I even called my mom to drive to Dayton in 20 minutes, by the way, is how long it took her to get up there. She was, hauling, was booking it. She was hauling balls, did not give a fuck about a speeding ticket. Yeah. Um, she, uh, I called her first and I told her I did it. I, I'm putting him away. Like, I'm good. I'm getting out. Thank you. I, I'm still in contact with her to this day. She'll comment on some of my stuff on Facebook and be like, I'm so fucking proud of you, kid. Yeah. Like, damn. And, you know, so you need those survivors. And I went to a domestic violence support group here in Chillicothe. And, uh, that was, I wasn't quite ready for that. Was not quite ready for that, but. Was it that you weren't ready to give your story or was it you just had a different expectation for what you showed up? I like, wasn't ready to give my story. Okay. Um, I was not, I couldn't even get through it probably the first 10 minutes without bawling my eyes out. Um, I was not ready. 
And, you know, someone reached out to me like, hey, I'm doing this domestic violence thing. Um, I want you to come and tell the story. I thought I was good. I thought I was ready. Yeah, it's been, you know, four or five years. I'm good. Hell no. I was not. Um, thought I was. Well, see, that's something that I recently had to go through with therapy, too, is like, you know, there's a person in my life I had to write a letter to just for my own closure. Like, that person will never read this letter. And my therapist asked me, she's like, will you read it to me? Okay. And I had had it all typed up on my phone. I had it all written out. I was good. I was like, yeah, this is it. This is the letter. Yes, would you read it to me? And saying those words out loud from my mouth, it was like having to admit it. It was bringing these things to life. It was giving them weight because you could, you know, you can obviously feel your voice. You can feel the vibrations. You can feel your lungs, the air. It gives it life and it makes it real. But telling your story vocally, it brings a whole different reality to it. It's no longer just remembering these things happened. It's this happened. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I definitely understand what you mean by that. Vocalizing something is a whole different level. Especially like, you know, domestic violence is just now coming out. Like it's always been around, but people are more aware. Yeah. Um, people aren't nearly as judgmental as what they were. Because right. they're starting to understand it happens. I mean, domestic violence has risen tremendously because of COVID. Not even just COVID. I mean, yes, COVID because we've all been locked inside, you know, with your, together with, with your, your perpetrator. perpetrator. Um, but over the course of since 2016 to 2018, domestic violence rose by 400%. Yeah, that's... A 400% rise in two years. That's ridiculously crazy. Like... You know, back, you know, even when we were younger and we were in school, like, it was a hush-hush type yeah, it was a, thing. It was behind closed doors. It was a bedroom issue. It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't, you know, oh, Cody, that's not our business. Don't don't yeah. be getting, you know, don't be getting involved. That's not our business. That's their business. That's Joe Schmo's business and his wife. Like, don't, right. you know, that ain't your business. Um, And now people are starting to make it their business. Well, yeah, some, I mean, that's what I mean by when I look back and I'm thinking, you know, I could have done more. In reality, I couldn't have, but I wanted to. Yeah. Like, I, I would have wanted to, had I known. Yeah. So, now I think it, it's going to be a different game. Because it's not going to be call the cops anymore. It's going to be call the one person you trust. That one person you trust is going to come over. And Guns paint. are blazing. Yeah, they're going to paint the walls. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, and that's the thing, too. Like, first of all, it was different because we were children. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know. But um, now people are, they know what to look for. You know, the signs, the red flags, it's all over Facebook. Like, um, you know, someone always knows somebody that's been there. Yeah. Or is there. Um, now you have a whole ass army. Like, as a survivor and talking to victims, you have an army. 
get a whole bunch of angry ass survivor survivors. We got uh-huh. you. Like right. We got you. <laughs> and I'm sure some of us know some really good attorneys too. Yep. <laughs> like yeah. that's so that's one thing that I find is in any not just domestic survivor communities, but any kind of group together community. Me too. And like you know, me too. I'm I'm I mean, I'm talking even we'll go a whole different direction with it. You know, gun rights lobbyists. Oh yeah. Any type of community that has come together for a common cause will have those resources that you're looking for. Oh, absolutely. And there are um domestic violence support groups on Facebook. Yeah. Um be careful which ones you get into. Yeah. Because some of them are legit and they're very helpful. Others is just like bitch sessions um that are very triggering and I wouldn't recommend. Um yeah, be careful with the community you choose. Yeah. Um but also, you know, we all have friends in our lives. We have best friends. We have acquaintances. Right. Um your best friends will have your back 110% through and through. They will not agree with what you're doing or what you're planning on doing or whatever, but they're going to have your back. You know, they might, your best friends are the ones that are going to go bury a body with you. Yeah. Your friends are going to be the ones that, uh, I know you did it, but I'm calling the police. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's what like, there's been many a times where, you know, I've, I've been facing an issue where I need advice about something. So I'll ask my core group of friends. And then I'll ask some other people to get see if I can find a different perspective. And then I'll be like, oh, well, that's cool. My friend said this. And these acquaintances will be like, your friend's a fucking asshole. I'm like, And people yeah, don't understand that. But the difference that. is my friend is an asshole. But they're the first ones that show up to my fucking door when I need them. And not to mention, like, your best fucking friend is the one person that can be like, Cody. You're a fucking idiot for right. doing that. You know, Garrett gets on to me about that shit all the time. He's like, you're a little fucking harsh, don't you think? And I'm like, oh. no, because people want that real. Yeah. People don't want people that beat around the bush and yeah. be like, well, you know, if that's what you feel you should do. Don't, pe- don't tell me fancy things. No, tell me the 100% real shit. Like, hey, you're fucking up, dude. Yeah. Get your head out of your fucking ass. Get going. Stop moping around, getting, you know, stop wallowing in self-pity. Put your clothes on, pull your big boy pants up, and get the fuck out there. That's very much my friends. They're, <laughs> they're fucking, they're rough with it. But they're real you about it. You respect it. And it hurts your feelings at first, but then you're like, you know what? motherfuckers, right? Yeah. That's something I've got, I've had to get used to saying, you know what, you was right over the years. Like, that's something I've really had to get used to. Oh, yeah. No one wants to admit it. Like, yeah, right? All right. So we're coming up on the end here. What is let's 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 summarize this. Make sure you get out, even if you're not ready to. There's options. There are options. Resources. There's resources available. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to add those to my posts. For those of you listening on Spotify or one of the other podcasts, it is um, hotline.org and the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. So ncadv.com. Or, or gov. Is it gov? Uh-huh. I'm sure if you type the first part in, it'll fill out the rest. Um, it's going to be messy when you get out. 
you're going to go through a lot. You're going to go through depression. You're going to go through suicidal ideations. You're going to have moments where you feel on top of the mountain. There are going to be moments where you feel the mountains on top of you. Healing is messy. You know, this is not a sidewalk issue. Kelsey's been out for seven years, and it's just now starting to get smooth for her. So be prepared for some briar thickets. Be prepared to be in the mud. But you are worth healing. and You are worth getting out. You're not alone. You're not alone. You can always turn to myself if you have questions or you want to be confidential. I got you. I am not a domestic violence survivor, but by all means, if you need help, if you can reach out to me, reach out to me. I'll get you the help that you need somehow, some way. This is from Curved Horns, and thank you, Chelsea, for coming on and talking about this. I know this is a hard issue for people to talk about. Um, this was a requested, this was actually requested for me to talk about. That's why I chose you, because I knew that you knew a lot. Y'all have a lovely evening. Thanks for having me.